thank you so much um, uh, for this introduction, Polly. And give me just one moment while I share my. Um, is my is my slideshow visible? Yes, it's fine. Yes. OK, good. Thank you. So I want to begin by thanking the organizers of this workshop, Polly O'Hanlon and Sherlyn Bhandari, as well as other members of this executive committee for giving me this opportunity to present a very early draft of my work. Thanks to also to Satish Karsekar for allowing me to see and scan some of his amazing collection of little magazines years ago. And to the poet and artist Mangesh Narayan Kare, who shared his images of these little magazines with me as well, again years ago. His images were better than mine, so I've used a couple of them today. And finally, most important thanks to Chandrakant Patil and to Professor M. Sadik, who helped me so much in understanding the world of Aurangabad writing in the Satvotari period and after. The paper today is about the circuits of interchange between Marathi and Urdu, as is evident from a special issue of Rucha, edited by Chandrakant Patil. While the individual issue of Rucha is fascinating enough with its intervention into the political monolinguistic politics of Maharashtra at that moment, this special issue proffers us a hinge to open the doors towards the complex multilingual life world that continues to dwell beyond it. And I believe it also points towards building different literary coalitions and genealogies that are, mo that are uh, most readily available. I came upon this issue as part of my larger study of little magazines in uh, Marathi years ago when I was writing my book, Bombay Modern, Arun Kolatkar and Bilingual Literary Culture. And at that time, I took this as one more in instance of the deliberate multilingual push by these editors and writers in the face of monolingual assertions of communal identity post the creation of the state of Maharashtra. But later, when I went back to this special issue, there were anomalies that I had not heeded initially when I encountered the Rucha issues. And this essay is an early attempt to close uh, to do a close reading of this particular special issue, but through it also to reach a larger cultural matrix that energizes the creation of such literary uh, publications. And I, of course, welcome any corrections, additions, expansions about what I'm about to state below. Um, so first, a general introduction to the little magazine as a whole before we focus on the one special issue I'm going to talk about. Rucha was a little magazine started in 1976 by Ramesh Panse and Sunil Karnik in Thane, Mumbai. It lasted three years and while I haven't been able to access all the issues, there is information that there were seven issues published in the first year. Here are the pages or covers from three separate issues of Rucha. The first one is a table of contents from Rucha 3.2, which we will talk about soon. That uh, the second is a special issue on Arun Kolatkar, which came out after he got the Commonwealth um, uh, Award for Poetry. And the third is a haiku special, which shows the multiple languages on one page, as well as the graphics that sometimes populated these pages. This was a little magazine dedicated to literature, specifically poetry, and it had very few advertisements, unlike some other little magazines, and hardly anything else besides the literary texts. There are graphic illustrations in some, but not all issues. 
but today's famous names in literary criticism and canonical poets in Marathi appear in the pages of this issue of this uh, little magazine. And you see translations from poets all over the world as just example. Some examples of names are Rafael Alberti, Cesar Vallejo, Luis Carlos Lopez, Norman McGregor and so on. Uh, the special issue on Koletkar is perhaps the most famous of these issues so far. Uh, and the essays there continue to be referenced and discussed, discussed even today. And I'm, um, I believe there was also a special issue on the poetry from Marathwara in the second year, but I haven't been able to locate that issue. A side note, in the special issue, uh, in the uh, special issue 3.2 on the left hand side that we are going to be looking at, um, there is an there is a brief advertisement asking for submissions to a future Rucha issue, which would be titled Returned with Thanks, which was supposed to be edited by Dilip Chitre and which solicited all rejected poetry from mainstream Marathi magazines. It doesn't look like that issue saw the light of the day, but I have not yet fully confirmed it. The practice of the editors of this little magazine was to do continuous page numbering across these issues. And while this is confusing, I guess as a reader, I'm at least thankful that they numbered their pages, unlike some other little magazines. Um, so with this brief introduction, let's look at this, the particular special issue, the 3.2, the one on the left that we're going to be talking about. Uh, Rucha usually lacked an editorial, but this particular issue is an exception um, and it actually does have an editorial. So here is the uh, table of contents of 3.2 published in July 1979. And on the uh, on in this particular special issue, you have Urdu uh, Aschi Urdu Kavita and Samakalin Marathi Kavita. The table of contents was intriguing for me because of the imbalance between the Urdu and the Marathi poets that are anthologized here, if you can see it uh, closely. Um, the TOC, the table of content insists on a comparatist reading of the two modernisms in Urdu and Marathi. The layout almost boxes you in such a comparatist reading. And yet the list of Urdu poets is much longer and more extensively featured than the Marathi counterparts. But also the issue features a relatively detailed editorial by Chandrakant Patil that not only introduces the Urdu poetry, uh, but relitigates the argument between the Urdu progressives and Urdu modernists that had been raging in Urdu literary publications a few years earlier. The current work of uh, scholars such as Jennifer Dubrow and Zain Mia deals with precisely these debates between the progressives and modernists in the Urdu literary sphere. And it, it, if I had time, I would have gone deeper into that question, but I won't for now. The question was, what is the purpose served by this editorial when it came out, uh, when, when we read it as directed towards the Marathi reader of Rucha? So here are some um, some sort of readings of this issue on my part. This is still speculation, but I want to look at the connections between the expansively understood um, um, sort of uh, region area of work known as Mumbai Marathi modernists and their associations or connections with Urdu writing uh, versus the interconnections between the Marathi writers from Marathwada and Urdu literature. 
My suspicion is that such an examination might emphasize a bifurcation between the kinds of contemporaneity that the metropolitan Marathi writers were seeing in Urdu as opposed to the Marathwada or Aurangabad writers who were privy to a separate win window into Urdu culture as opposed to the Marathi uh, writers and their connection to Urdu literature. Can one, I wonder, hazard a guess that through the dominant influence of Hindi films, which shows up so persistently in the Marathi modernist texts and the location of Bombay and its importance in the print cultural as well as media worlds, Urdu progressive still held a larger than life hold on the imaginations of the Bombay Marathi reader and writer, as opposed to the ones living and writing from Aurangabad? Could that be one of the explanations why Chandrakant Patil and Sadik? I'll come to Sadik very soon, might have felt the need to reinsert the debate between the progressives and modernists in this Marathi editorial. Is this special issue evidencing through its Marathi pathway distinct spheres of influence within Urdu writing that one can study separately as part of Urdu histories as well? In claiming this alignment with Urdu modernists, with uh, Urdu modernists and Noon Mim Rashid and Miraji, for example, um, is Chandrakant Patil in this special issue somehow indicating these nuanced differences within the larger Urdu sphere? I don't know. I still have to dip, dig deeper to find this out. Uh, next, if you see on the table of contents, um, you, uh, this is it, it lists, it, it's gone back the slide, but it lists Parichai of the poets. And it is not very long, as you can see, this is the page where the paricha of the poets is given, but it is significant considering there's no such paricha for the Marathi poets on the other side. These brief bios specifically list the many Urdu print cultural roles held by the contributors to this volume. For example, Fazal Tabish was the editor of the journal Mijaz. Bakar Mehdi was associated with the Maharashtra Urdu Academy. Shahinshah Mirza was associated with the Madhya Pradesh Urdu Academy and also the editor of a journal called Banjara. Shahid Mahuli was the editor of the Urdu journal Mayar. It would be a fascinating exercise to trace the writing worlds and the publishing networks that are signaled through this Parichai, but together definitely they lead us away from the Mumbai-centric Marathi literary world. <clears throat> A third aspect of this Rucha special issue is the translational exercise undertaken here. This special issue was a joint venture, a collaboration between Chandrakant Patil and Professor Sadik, one a Marathi slash Hindi poet and translator, and the other a Urdu slash Hindi poet and translator, both influenced by Hindi modernism and specifically by the poetry of Gajanan Madhav Muktibodh. Both Patil and Sadik lived and worked as academics in Aurangabad, where they formed a close association with each other. The Urdu poems were transliterated by Sadik for Patil, who Patil did, doesn't read the Urdu script, who then translated them into Marathi for this special issue. The slide up, up here shows you the special issue of Rucha in 1979, edited by Patil, and its counterpart in Urdu, the anthology of Nay Marathi Shairi, edited by Sadik, in 1980. And here is the table of uh, contents of the Nay Marathi Shairi. On the other side, Patil helped choose and curate the Marathi list of poets to be translated into Urdu and performed a similarly advisory role as did Sadik for the Urdu poetry in Marathi. There is a fascinating history to be discovered here about Sadik's Marathi translations and his Aurangabadi connections, but for the sake of the 
short presentation here. I will focus only on the Marathi special issue here. It is an example of the collaborative interlingual ex exchange where script or writing is not the basis of the translation. Lawrence Venuti talks about the domesticating of foreignness in all translation in his theory of translation, and I quote from his uh, book on scandals of translation, quote, translation is often regarded with suspicion because it inevitably domesticates foreign texts, inscribing them with linguistic and cultural values that are intelligible to specific domestic constituencies. This process of inscription operates at every stage in the production, circulation and reception of the translation. It continues most forcefully in the development of a translation, a translation strategy that rewrites the foreign text in domestic dialects and discourses, always a choice of certain domestic values to the exclusion of others." End quote. But here in the case of Chandrakant Patil and Sadek, it was a collaborative and shared project across knowledges and gaps in knowledges on each side. So it doesn't quite follow, in fact, denies the claim that Lawrence Venuti is making. The result of this linguistic and cultural exchange goes beyond mere descriptions of domestication and in fact gestures to something shared yet not fully visible in these public this set of publications. Together, the anthology and the special issue of Rucha indicate a joint cultural landscape beyond scripts and monolingualisms that gets split across these two publications and their newer worlds. Translation here does not stop at the checkpoints of scripts of language, and it eschews the strict idea of transfer from one discrete space to another by centering the collaboration and the shared cultural encounters and experience at the base of this exercise. To dig further into this close connection of this special issue to a multilingual Dakhni slash Maratwada cultural space, let's look at the poems to uh, poems uh, written to Adil Mansuri and Muhammad Alvi, written by Chandrakant Patil, this time in Marathi, where he bemoans the fact that they have left his literary world for good. This, these poems were written after the Gujarat riots in 2003. In the Rucha special issue in 1979, Chandkan Patil, with the help of Sadiq, had published a poem by Muhammad Alvi on the nature of God, where Alvi imagines God's role in man's life as that of an oil lantern to be used only when there's a power outage, but not otherwise. After the Gujarat riots, Patil beckons the Urdu poet and remembers this image and says that the god of the oil lamp has now become an uncontrollable fire that's burning down the society as a whole. Similarly, addressing the Urdu slash Gujarati poet Adil Mansuri, whose poetry also appeared in the special issue, Patil compares Mansuri's emigration from Gujarat to the United States to that of Wali Dakhni, leaving Aurangabad for Surat in Gujarat in medieval Deccan, and whose grave was raised to the ground during the Gujarat riots. The sphere of references of that special issue and its Urdu modernisms now shows the expanse of the Dakhni history and cultures that lay behind it. A final piece of evidence is the poem that Chandrakant Patil wrote, this time in Hindi, about the loss of Wali Dakhni's world after the Bombay riots in 1992 that shook all of Maharashtra and the entire nation, and also after the communalization of Aurangabad's politics by Shiv Sena in the 80s, starting with the demand to rename the city as Sambhajinagar. On this slide, you can see the beginning of the poem. 
Note the Persian-based vocabulary in the of the poem that is in Hindi, the mourning both for the city that is in tumult, but also for the Dakhni culture, uh, culture, uh, cultural and poetic genre via the invocation of the Marcia. Both the city and the linguistic culture, which is unavailable according to Patil in Hindu, Hindi India. Both the city of Vali Dakhni and the poetry of which he is popularly seen as the forefather are vanishing or have disappeared and the poet can only witness the traces of loss in front of his eyes and on the page. On the right side of the slide, the extreme right is a later translation of the, of the same poem into Urdu published in the journal, journal Sabras after the 2002 Gujarat riots and Mirza Aslam Beg also included a translation of it in his own edited anthology Guldastai Khushbas. And here is how the poem ends. As the two banks of a river run away from the midstream terrorized by a deluge, so are the borderlines running away from your city. Look how immersed in peace is the city of yours as it changes into a metropolis. How the crowd wears a mask to cover its face, how people who belong here are turning strangers on their own land. Muhammad Wali, the words I, play, I played with my entire life do not know what a dirge slash Marcia is, but it is true that the name of your beloved city now can now remain only in a dirge slash Marcia. Vishnu Khare translates the Marcia as a dirge, but I, I am putting the slash in and I want to retain the word Marcia in the translation because Patil is lamenting the loss of a specific Urdu genre of a poem associated with the Deccan, even as he is enclosing the Dakhni past in that language and time. The poem mourns the lack of the proper language, Urdu or Dakhni, and the proper form, the Marcia, that is unavailable in Hindi or Marathi for the poet. And the poem specifically refers to the Ganga Jamuni culture that was part of the, of the Hyderabad Urdu scene that tried to separate itself from the Delhi Urdu paradigm and establish a separate Dakhni Urdu center in Nizam's Hyderabad as documented by Kavita Datla. So to return to the special issue on Urdu modernisms, then the literary cultural work that this special issue does is manifold and it can contribute to our understanding of Marathi and regional histories in the following ways. First, the history of the Satotari Marathi little magazines, the modes of transition, translation and cosmopolitanisms that Rucha shares with all the other little magazines. They were all doing this kind of multilingual work as I write about in my book, right? Um, the second, even more important, is the attention to the location of Aurangabad as an alternative site of Marathi modernism. The presence of Urdu in this Marathi journal and the translation of Marathi in the Urdu anthology by Patil and Sadik gesture to the necessity of heeding the geographies involved in these ventures. Aurangabad with its deep connection to Nizam's Hyderabad before independence and the multifarious linguistic cultures that jostled in the space needs to be taken into account when reading this special issue. It is that non-metropolitan Marathi space of modernism heralded by Bhalchandra Nemade and Chandrakant Patil, among others, uh, when they brought out Vata, for example, right? But Aurangabad is also the location of a robust Dalit modernism that started with the journal Asmita, later Asmita Darsha, and uh, with M.M. Wankhede, Gangadhar Pantavne and others. But a third, in addition, it is also the place that is home to the Muslim Marathi writers, as noted by Dev Kumar Ahire, 
in his essay dakhni bhasha vasahatvad and ani jamatvadache bhashik rajkaran ahire notes that these muslim writers eschew the conventional expectation that as muslim writers they should live within the urdu writing world and and the marathi muslim writers claim a marathi contemporaneity where we are their location of aurangabad and its history of the dakhni culture and language similarly in, in the essay vernacular as a space writing in the deccan pushkar sohni asks us to consider the faith traditions of aurangabad and describes them as going beyond hindu and muslim straight jackets he sees them as a radical quote vernacular space that reaches back to the dakhni cultures of medieval times i want to add chandrakant patel's work here in the rucha special issue against that backdrop as a third trajectory that also locates itself in aurangabad and reaches out to this complicated dakhni history via its alignments with urdu modernist poetry it points to the pendulating connections that marathi had in its presence in hyderabad before the linguistic reorganization and its subsequent recalibrations something i'm still in the process of educating myself just to be clear about it number 3 through its editorial for which we really didn't have time to look at in great detail but i can talk about it in the q and a the little magazine intervenes and relitigates the battle between urdu progressivism and urdu modernism in marathi here what is the purpose of this and why the debate about modernism um, why is it relevant to marathi readers that is the question that this issue asks us to address number 4 the issue provides a supplementary claim as i i said earlier to the syncretic dakhni genealogy of the re region and uh, it claims a different kind of approach to multilingualism than i at least have been adopting in my work so far to go back to go to a poem written by dilip chitre titled monologue in america dilip chitre in his stint at the iowa workshop in the 80s ruminates on his surreal stay there where he says quote i have inherited from my ancestors this whole surreal mix of monolingual language lessons in a plurilingual world end quote and recently i read a wonderful article by my fellow panelist in this workshop shraddha kumbhochkar where she reference references the statement by kutub shah refusing to join the mughal army's push into the De deccan in his response in dakhni he said unoku hua to hamnoku hua if it hurts them it hurts us as well the forthcoming work of prachi deshpande also wonderfully illustrates these multilingual approaches to marathi in her own book as well so where and how does one separate language culture politics writing and speech this presentation today hopefully uh, uh, tries to understand how we need to think of all of these aspects in a holistic way even when on the surface we are separated by disciplinary disciplinarity and monolingual territorial separations but it is also important to note that this multilingualism exists within the shadow of the increasingly strident demand for a monolingual and monocultural identity in the post independence period in india and in maharashtra the issue of dakhni exposes a gap in the increasingly heard call for multilingual readings and scholarship the the problem here is not just having multiple languages on the page or in view the special issue does that very clearly 
but also to see what is attempted to be said here via these multilingual gestures beyond them. Both the drive towards a public monolingualism and the actual multilingual practices of daily life coexist in the same space and time and jostle for visibility simultaneously. Therefore, a concept like Yasmin Yildiz's idea of the post monolingual proves to be very useful for me here. Quote, and I'm quoting Yildiz here, the post monolingual in this study refers to a field of tension in which the monolingual paradigm continues to assert itself and multilingual practices persist or re-emerge, end quote. In her study of the idea of the mother tongue, she recommends an attention not just to the multiplicity of linguistic practices in any given situational space, but the tussle or the push and pull between the forces of monolingualization and those of multilingualism that she calls as the post-monolingual. This complex careening movement across languages in the Rucha special issue should be read against such a backdrop of the post-monolingual situation in Aurangabad and in Mumbai. It also indirectly hints at the linguistic and cultural afterlives of a cultural identity that falls in between the monolingual, the, the, re the relatively monolingual identities of Urdu and Marathi. Monolingual demands relegated other languages or cultural identities to quote hodgepodge, as Yildiz says. And as scholars like Kulkarni, Sohini, uh, Sohoni and Ahire have shown, the culture and linguistic space of the Dakhni becomes that hodgepodge between Marathi and Urdu cultural markers. The Rucha special issue on today's Urdu poetry slash contemporary Marathi poetry presents a third rail, if you will, for reaching that quote hodgepodge middle that remains unacknowledged in monolingual politics as well as literary histories. I must note here, though, that Sridhar Ranganath Kulkarni, who was um, among the earliest to write about the Dakhni connection to Marathi in Dakhni Bhasha Marathi Samskruti Sa Ek Avishkar, as well as other Marathi writers who worked in Hyderabad during the colonial period, were ambivalent towards the Nizam state's connection to Marathi. So I'm not talking about this you know, uncomplicated bhaichara and, you know, um, kumbaya moment between linguistic cultures. They felt that Marathi was being strangled and not given its due importance at that time. So they reached to Dakhni as a way to validate their own linguistic genealogy. But in 1979 in the special issue and in 1992 in his poem, Mercier Mehfuz, Chandrakant Patil is reaching out to Dakhni as a way to reassert the Marathwada histories in Marathi literature, to reclaim the syncretic stories of the region and claim a different Marathi space than is afforded in the increasingly Hinduized and monolingualized present. The special issue of Rucha insists on a cross-border reading in terms of these linguistic modernisms and cultures, both by the visual juxtaposition of the two in the table of contents, but also by the translating act of bringing this curated list of modern Urdu poetry to Marathi readers by the collaborative efforts of Chandrakant Patil and Professor Sadik in Aurangabad. It two reveals minutes, a... Uh, two minutes. Thank you. Yes, I'm about to finish. It reveals a spectral presence of a life world 
of a vernacular space that occasionally flashes a recognition to us from behind these two linguistic traditions and which makes a case for expanding the boundaries of Marathi modernism beyond its metropolitan centers and also across the seemingly monolingual barriers. To end then, I revert back to my one of my favorite poets, A.K. Ramanujan. He says, when I write in Kannada, I'd like all my English, Tamil, etc. to be at the back of it. And when I write in English, I hope my Tamil and my Kannada, like my linguistics and anthropology, what I know about America and India are at the back of it. It's of course only a hope and not a claim. I'm less and less embarrassed of keeping these doors open even when it's dark outside and it's 3 a.m. inside. Well, it's indeed dark outside right now, uh, metaphorically speaking, and 3 a.m. inside. And like Ramanujan says, I firmly believe we must keep all our doors open. Thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed for that wonderful talk, um, uh, Anjali. Um, well, whilst others are getting their thoughts in order, um, and just to remind that those who are with us, um, uh, please do send in your questions via the uh, Q&A um, uh, box. Um, ah, I see there's a question already come in. Uh, let me turn to that. Um, uh, this is from Madhura Damle. Um, thanks for such a fascinating presentation. It reminds me of the 1930s especially Madhav Julian, his attempts to bring Persian words and genres in Marathi poetry and eventual U-turn and assertion of linguistic purity. In this context, I'm interested to know what Marathi was used in the translations, the translations of Urdu poetry in this issue, Sanskritized, Persianized, to what extent were Urdu words retained? Um, Thank you so much for this question. This is a very, by the way, this 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 um, this uh, Urdu um, Persian influence on Marathi it goes back a long way, and so many poets have used it, right? Madhav Julian, Mardekar, Suresh Bhatt, Lok Kavi Manmohan. I mean, there's so many poets who have used it in different ways. So I'm not claiming that uh, uh, Patil is doing something that no one else has done before, but it's just interesting to see how the, the, the linguistic cultures come together for different reasons at different points, right? So to come back to the question about um, with what kind of language was used, yes, there is um, Urdu-based or uh, Persian-based uh, language used in the translations, but there's a very interesting kind of mix. I have to look at it more closely, but there are points even in that poem, Marciem and Mehfuz, where there are words like pran, which sound to my ears, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds so, so absolutely Sanskritized. And then you've got words like mehfuz in the poem, right? So there is a jostling of this very purely Sanskritized and very uh, sort of a very clearly Persianized uh, vocabulary in that poem, but also in the translations in the rucha as well. To what extent? I won't be able to tell you. I still have to look deeply into the poems and look at the details. I hope that answers your question. I'm not sure. Thank you very much. Well, um, uh, others are coming in. Um, we have a question here from Nupur. Um, uh, oh, hang on a sec. Um, um, 
Thank you, Anjali, uh, for such thought a thought-provoking presentation. I'm curious to know more about the circulation of little magazines like Rucha. Who were the readers? Where was it circulated? Which, par which parts of Maharashtra and even outside of it? Which would help us understand the ways in which multiple public spheres that were formed in Satotari period uh, were moving away from the metropolis of Bombay. Interestingly, Rucha was published in Tane, if I remember correctly, reading from one of the slides. Yes, Nupur, thank you so much for this question. And again, I can only partially answer the question. I'm still trying to source uh, more issues of Rucha and I've not been able to do that. Um, all my, um, all the material I found is from the Satish Kasekar collection where there weren't all the issues um, available when I went there. Um, so Rucha was, um, Rucha circulated both in Bombay, but very much so in Nagar, in Maratwada and so on, because it was a collaboration of Rucha was published by uh, Panse and Karnik, uh, but it was also edited by Patil, who was in Aurangabad at that time, right? So in, in, the, in the history of Marathi modernism, you have this very strong Mumbai center where the public, the tools of publication, the resources of publication are available, but then you have these generative uh, spaces outside Mumbai from where not only the material, but the work, the actual editorial work and um, and the circulation is also happening. I haven't, I don't have specific details of exactly where and how much it's circulated. It's a very important question, uh, but I would suspect that knowing the circulation of something like say Vacha, which uh, came from um, Aurangabad, but which was very much in conversation and dialogue with the Mumbai Marathi modernism, right? Nemade Patil and their group of people. It was a collaboratively uh, edit, um, edited a little magazine. Knowing from the circulation of that little magazine, I would say that Rucha would have something similar where, um, where it had one leg outside Mumbai and one leg within Mumbai to access the resources and the visibility here, but then also to bring in the outsides of Mumbai into the the conversation of uh, modernist poetry in the Satotri moment. I wonder if that even partially answers your question. I, uh, it seems so to me. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, whilst we wait for other others and, and uh, do, do, do send in your, your questions and thoughts, um, may I put a question, which is um, uh, I, I'm not being a literary person at all, um, I wonder, um, uh, have you looked at or have, have scholars looked at the, the, the sort of educational and family backgrounds of the people who contributed to these literary enterprises? I mean, are these, are these poets um, and publishers from families that have a kind of deep connection, a deeper and older connection with the new literary culture? Um, uh, going back some decades, or are these folks who are just extraordinarily well read, and this is a milieu which seems to them um, congenial, eclectic, sort of politically progressive? I, I wonder where that kind of sensibility comes from. 
thank you so much for this question, Polly, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about something for which I didn't have time in my presentation. Um, I did ask this question of Patel and Sadiq, and I wanted to talk more. I, I wanted to ask more of uh, other people as well, but I can talk about them. And uh, it's so fascinating that the, for example, with Chandrakan Patil, he's got such a close connection. Uh, he talked about this this poem, Mercier Me Mehfuz, is uh, um, dedicated to his friend um, uh, Bhoi, with whom he used to spend the nights chatting away in the cemetery beside the cover of Siraj. Mm. That's what he said. So this this kind of a melding of this is not the kind of practice, cultural practice one would expect, say, in Pune, Mumbai, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, and then Chandrakant Patil also had very close collaborations with others like there was a, a, a lecturer um, and writer called Afzal Khan with whom where Afzal Khan wrote essays on Urdu literature and then Chandrakant Patil spontaneously translated them into Marathi. They never ended up publishing it, but there's a whole collection of these things that he has. And then he collaborated. Sadiq was a lecturer um, in the college um, in Aurangabad there. Now Professor Sadiq lives in Delhi, but at that time he was in Aurangabad. And so they formed a collaboration and then Sadiq was an Urdu poet, uh, translated large parts of Marathi into Urdu, published them in Urdu journals. He's translated Survey, he's translated Kuletkar, Dhasa, all the others, right? And so you have this kind of thing where, where he didn't read Marathi the way Patil read Marathi. Patil didn't re read Urdu script at all. And yet they have this kind of a cultural translational collaborative space, which they very strongly share. The mm -hmm. times, the space, the culture, the genealogy, the background. And so I'm trying to find a language to, to describe that in my work but also to see that spectral presence beside, behind a special issue like this Rucha special issue, where on the surface it looks like Urdu modernism, Marathi modernism, putting them two together. But the kind of deep interconnections to a third spectral mm -hmm. presence behind it is what is fascinating and what I'm trying to sort of get towards mm -hmm. so that when we study multilingualisms, as I have been studying so far, it is not just discrete languages that are on the page together. There's a whole cultural matrix that needs to be studied and more multilingualism, spectral multilingualisms, uh, lingualisms, if, if, if one can call them that, behind the visible multilingualisms that are there. Does that, does that I mean, does yes, that answer I'm, your question? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's a sort of fascinating vision of a whole hinterland of sensibility, um, uh, 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 sort of a drive to find something which is beyond bilingualism, uh, um, as yes. it were. It, yes. is, is, there a, is there a religious dimension to this at all in, in the, any of the work of these people? Oh. A kind of, you know, a Sufi sensibility? Um, is, is do, you, do you get any sense of uh, Pushkar Sohni writes beautifully about this in his essay, where he looks at the faith traditions, which he says should not be bracketed in Hindu and Muslim. And he goes precisely to that Sufi uh, sort of connection there. 
So he's got an essay there. And then Dev Kumar Ahire has got this. I think it was in the last Maharashtra studies conference that he presented on this actually, mm. where he talks about the Marathi Muslim writers who actually don't, who sort of very assertively say we don't need Urdu in order to be Marathi Muslim. Okay, so separating the script and religion together and then they go back to Dakhni. That is uh, Ahire's essay's claim, which I found really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's that is. And is there anything is there anything like that now? I mean, that was a particular moment that you're describing. Uh, has has that kind of collaboration? Did it have any kind of longer lifespan or is, is that? Um, I am sure like the um, uh, there are some really, really fascinating um, um, histories to be studied in the Marathi Muslim writers that Ahire writes about. I haven't studied them. I have another friend, Ashok Gopal, who has worked very uh, closely with one Marathi, um, uh, Marathwada Marathi Dalit poet, Muslim Dalit poet called Shah Jinde. And the kind of identities that, you know, one sees as kind of separate or not separate, but that they are not talked about in the same breath that Shah Jinde's poetry, for example, brings, right? Marathi, Muslim, Dalit. And what sure. are the kinds of issues that come because of this location in Marathwada? Yeah, this yes, is the, I, mean, I haven't studied that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, note from Shailen, I recall that was Mufid Mujawar. So I'm not quite sure what that is a reference to, um, but uh, um, so are there, we've got, got time for, yeah. uh, do, do can, you I, to, can I have a small please. question? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, how does this, uh, this uh, translational multilingualism that you find in uh, non-metropolitan uh, spaces, uh, how does that, uh, uh, relate to the metropolitan thrust of modernism, something which you have called Bombay modern. Yeah. So, and especially kind of cosmopolitanism that you associate with Bombay uh, modern, and yeah. and non-metropolitan modernism very often relied upon the rhetoric of nativism. Uh, yes. So, if uh, this translational uh, activity is happening in uh, the the pilgrimage site of nativism. What does it tell us about uh, nativism? Means, is it a kind of uh, concealed nationalism that seems to be operating? Because you're open to translating from Indian languages like Urdu or other Indian languages, but at the same time, you are extremely critical of uh, uh, English or English-based uh, Bombay modern. So is there some tension that you can see in these two strands of modernism? Uh, Thank you, Sachin. That's such a broad and a huge question, but all, an important question to ask. And I'm I'm not sure I can fully uh, sort of satin give a satisfactory answer, but I'll try. So my understanding, firstly, I'm not claiming that a Bombay modern or the kind of modernism I wrote about in that book is is parochial in its own way. That it does not have these. Uh, these kind of connections to the hinterland. There are these connections, 
the that's precisely the thrust of my book in Bombay that this idea of Bombay extends to Aurangabad, extends to all these other regions because they were in connection. Like how, what do you say about something like Vacha by uh, Nemade? Even if brought out um, Nemade and Patil and others, I should say, it is a collaborative thing, not by one person. Um, so uh, it is sort of brought out by this group in Aurangabad, but it the, the visibility, the circulation, the resources are with people in Bombay. And Shahane and others were as closely connected with that in the circulation and in the distribution and in the contribution to that uh, little magazine. So I, I don't think Bombay Modern is necessarily sort of limited to only anglicized, westernized. I don't think uh, so. No, 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 that was not my question. My question was that was the perception uh, of uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Um, the non-metropolitan spaces. That's what uh, I was trying to point out. Sorry, Sachin. We ought to. Oh, yeah. We yeah, ought yeah. To, so, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, we shall run into your um, time for your paper. Right. I think uh, we can carry out this conversation later. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very thanks, much. Thanks, indeed, thanks for that. Uh, for a wonderful um, paper, Anjali.